Hi, and welcome to the Good Hope Podcast. Today is the 23rd June, 2021, episode 18. And our guest today is Mr. Ashok Sunarai from International Bank Falls. Welcome, Mr. Ashok. Thank you. Thank you very welcome. much. I'd like to introduce my co-host, Pedro. He and I are partners in a company called 5,000 Miles, headquarters in Lisbon, Portugal. And we have offices in Brazil and Nigeria and opening up in Spain next week. Um, we help international businesses network uh, into new countries and territories. And uh, our podcast was just uh, started earlier this year to uh, showcase entrepreneurship and international business. And we invite guests to share their stories and journeys with us. Uh, we're very intrigued to hear about your life's journey and your story. And if you could share with us, where did it all start and how did you get to having international bank vaults in London and Zurich? Well, I think everything starts with a dream. That dream becomes a, a vision and a vision becomes a plan. And then and in terms of execution, it just develops. But it, ultimately, it depends on your, on your attitude, your relationships, your family, your friends, and your your perseverance in terms of to make your dreams come true right. when you left school where did what was the your business or what did you do after you left school how did your journey begin well you know um in high school i always spoke to by then my girlfriend that um I want to start my own business and grow in my business. So I had early dreams about being a, a entrepreneur or and a businessman. And uh, in high school, I, I didn't have the desire to study uh, further than metric, but to pursue a, a career in business. But it was important when parents push you to study, then I studied. I enrolled at the university uh, to join uh, in the evening to do a, a degree in accounting. But after seven months of the first year, I dropped out because at night, the university life was very boring and there was not much activity. And therefore, I said I will drop out and just pursue my, my life in business. So... What was, what was the first business that you started at that time? Well, first of all, I had to join my dad in his real estate business. Uh, and the real estate business at that time was a struggling business market. But uh, my dad being my business mentor, had taught me a lot through his trials and tribulations. I learned a lot by being an assistant to my dad in his business. But after a few years, I decided to open my own finance broking business, which was arranging finance for various business owners. And Randall's mm. finance brokers was started and uh, it was a successful business. And from there, I developed into the property world, property development. So it was finance broking, property development. And that led me to a budget hotel and I developed that into a chain of uh, 10 hotels, budget hotels. Okay. And, um, 
and then in 2004 i um, went to my my bank vault in standard bank and i went to a vault there to place some of my uh, wife's jewelry into the safe deposit vault and uh, when i entered the vault and i stood in the queue to be uh, processed then i overheard the cashier telling a client that they are fully booked and there is a wait list for 4 years sure uh when i met with the cashier who was escorting me to my safe deposit vault i joked with her and i said to her that why don't they develop and add more safes in their vault and this she said that we we have 4000 safes and uh, there's no there's a there's a three year wait list and there's so much of demand but the bank is not expanding this department so i joked to them and i said well if the bank is not going to expand the department then let me do it and um, walked out of the place uh, what was meant as a joke became a light bulb of an idea and mm-hmm. uh, got hold of my wife on the phone and said i've got a great idea i'm going to open a vault a private vault and she said it's a crazy idea but go ahead and do it and then a year later in 2005 may of 2005 we built ibv international vaults in gateway theater of shopping which was challenging to build but exciting at the same time and um we are now operating a vault in, in gateway and soon there'll be a second vault in close by to gateway and then we have a vault in mandela square in santon and we have a world class vault in london switzerland dubai under construction when you built the first vault Uh, I imagine is a technical uh, challenge because there is security requirements and it's not it's not like building a simple house. So how did you got the knowledge and the expertise to do it properly? You know it was uh, Pedro it was very exciting because I I was going on to this new business venture but I always spoke about it as a hobby. because i was afraid that if I, if i spoke about it as a as a business venture and if the business venture failed then it would be it would be it would be embarrassing so we said okay let's do it as a business hobby so that and we did i did a lot of research and 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 and, and went through the the global market to understand balls spoke to a lot of suppliers and then came to the conclusion that what the banks have is not a vault but they have strong rooms and a strong room is vastly different from a vault so we we designed and built a world class vault in south africa and it it had the elements of physical barrier security electrical power backup security electronic security cctv control room security and to design a vault where there is a design concept of design security and uh, for the vault to be fireproof attack proof intruder proof gas proof explosive proof so that you build a world class vault with all the elements and disciplines to create something that is truly uh, a 
a, a feature that can protect people's assets and valuables. And with this in mind, we've been uh, very successful in developing the brand IBV International Vaults. When you opened the first one, how many clients would you need to make it sustainable? Remember still. So, you know, when we, when we did our research that the banks were fully, fully booked and they were waitlisted, we thought it would be a walk in the park to just open the vault and the first day we would have a, a queue of people coming there to sign up for a safe deposit vault. And we were sadly misinformed. Um, when we opened, it was a private vault owned by a private individual. So there were issues on the challenges of trust and, and, and confidentiality. Yes. And, and, and customers weren't excited from moving from uh, a bank to a, private, to a private company. And these were, these were the lessons learned that we had to have the patience, the perseverance to put in a, board, a team, a board of uh, directors, provide special insurance on the safe deposit vaults and give that is the trust and, 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 the, and the structure so that we could attract one customer, which took us many months before we even got the one, the first customer. Mm. And over many years, it took us a while to develop the trust and the relationship and the brand. So it wasn't a quick fix operation. It was maybe at least five to six years before we would see any profits or break even. So this is where you have the, the, the lessons of patience, perseverance, and, and, and believe in your dream and your vision and pursue it to the bitter end. And, and, and there is, um, there's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. 100%. Did you open the second vault during that period of five years while the first one was still losing money? Did you start expanding while still losing? Yeah, it was, I think the timing was um, more towards when we started to break even. Uh, it showed us that we are now on the right trajectory and right path. And we needed to have the second vault to build the credibility. So we opened in Johannesburg and we, it was also another rough patch, but we were used to that, that patience and that perseverance. And we then worked with the vault in Santon. And then we were planning to put up a vault in Cape Town. Uh, and then we decided rather let's work on the international market. And we worked for many years in Dubai to find the right location and to develop mm. a business model in Dubai. But uh, we had lots of challenges in terms of legal ownership. As you know, in Dubai, you need a, a partner and a sponsor. And in a vault business, we wanted to make sure we have full control of the private vault business. But at the same time, we were also looking at London and Switzerland. And then in terms of planning, what we planned did not materialize. We actually got uh, Switzerland first, then we got London, which took us many, many years to develop. We bought 50% uh, of the Barclays Bank 
in Mayfair in um, London. Uh, and we were fortunate to negotiate a good deal with Barclays Bank to buy 50% of their branch and then redevelop and regut the vault to be today's London's, London's most finest private vault in the whole of London. So we, we've got that success. Uh, we've been had some fallback with, the, with COVID, but we're back open now in London. And uh, we're very excited for the future because we're getting some very high net worth customers who have joined uh, the membership of our London branch. And we are excited to move ahead in challenging times. When you open a new, lo a new location, you start already with clients coming from, for example, South Africa. South African clients are also clients in when you open Switzerland, or no, or each one is from scratch. No, each one is from scratch. I don't think there's a quick, quick flow through. Customers are generally much more guarded. They are happy with their own environment, and 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 we with the vaults in Switzerland and London and the vault that we are now under construction in Dubai, it is more for international platforms, and it takes. It takes a while to build the brand and credibility. Very interesting. I how find. Do uh, mark, how, how do you market it? Just a curiosity. So you start in Switzerland. You are uh, from South Africa. Uh, I imagine that the clients in Switzerland, as we were discussing, 90% of them have no relationship with South Africa. What's the idea? How, how, how to create a brand? How to create a brand in a new country? You see, we look at it this way. First of all, when you're looking at a customer base, we're looking at private clients from banks. The banks are not providing safe deposit vaults, so we are offering that service. And any, any customer of a bank would be ideally our customer. Now, when it comes to London and Switzerland and Dubai, these are international cities, mm. which means then you don't focus on the local market. You focus on the international market. And then with London, Switzerland, and Dubai, the whole of uh, uh, America, Africa, Middle East, Far East, may have their business and have their bank accounts in their own country, but they would like to own a second property and a second bank account and a second sa safe deposit vault in an international city like Dubai, London, uh, mm. Switzerland, Zurich, or Singapore. What we so call the Plan B. Yeah, when you operate in an international city like London, Dubai, Switzerland, Zurich, and Singapore, your market share is not localized. Your market share is globalized. Depending mm -hmm. on the product and depending on the brand penetration, you can then be successful because you are have a, an international city platform. So that was a strategy for us to set up in Zurich, London and Dubai. Mm -hmm. You know, what, uh, what uh, I admire is being a Durban boy and from South Africa, you managed to scale your business up to international level. So congratulations on that. I admire that and the achievements you've done. Uh, tell us more about 
marketing. How important is marketing in a business? Uh, we also run our international business 5,000 miles. Explain to us, uh, you know, coming from your background, you had to probably learn more about marketing as a person and, and invest a lot of money into marketing. A lot of business people fail to do this uh, and put a budget towards marketing their brand and brand building. See, the, the game of business, the game of business is to make a profit. So in order to make a profit, you need to have two fundamental drivers. The first is sales, which is one you want to push your sales up. And the second is to control and push your expenditure down. And mm -hmm. the difference between the sales and the expenditure is your profit. So when you want to control your expenditure, you go to a team of accountants who will manage your books and also advise you on your cost control management. And that is your, that is your outflow management of funds. And then when you talk of sales, you talk about inflow management of funds. And in order to be successful with your sales and your inflow and the driver of sales, then you need some fuel. And the fuel is the marketing. So, you know, car, the car can be sales, but the, the, the car can't go anywhere without any advertising. Mm -hmm. So marketing drives sales. Advertising drives sales. And that is why Coca-Cola still advertises every day. Mm. Yes. So the day Coca-Cola stops advertising, you must stop advertising. <laughs> so advertising... Marketing drives sales. Now, marketing has moved from back in the days, there was a thing called uh, above line marketing and below line marketing. That is now disappeared. There's no above line marketing and below line marketing. Now it is one online marketing, mm -hmm. digital marketing. Correct. It's a new form of communication. So uh, radio, TV, billboards is there. But the marketplace is reading through, through social media. So I had to understand and learn very quickly social media about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn. So because I'm a businessman, uh, I, got the, I got special permission of, from my wife to be on WhatsApp, on LinkedIn, YouTube. Instagram, Facebook, and uh, I learned I learned marketing by by looking at other companies advertising on social media and how they do it. And, mm -hmm. and I, when I looked at that, I then I then try and maneuver and copy the same thing to do for my brand because we learn from each other every day, every minute. And the more we do the research and the more we read about things and the more we try to understand what makes Louis Vuitton successful, what makes Cartier successful, what makes Ferrari as a brand successful, and understand the science and the thinking behind it, we can apply that to our own business. Correct. Correct. Mm -hmm. What I about recruitment and, and human resources? Uh, how important was on the initial phase building a team and hiring the right persons. 
was it a huge impact or not so much? For any business, for any traditional business to operate, there are eight, there are eight departments of business excellence. And the business excellence we run on is our eight critical departments, which the first department is your property, in property development, infrastructure and security and branch operations. So that is your first department. Your second department after property and property infrastructure is your human resource, your people, mm -hmm. human resource management. Then your third is your finance department, accounting, audit and tax, followed by your business administration and IT department that links to between finance, admin and IT. And then your legal compliance and risk department. And then followed by your, your buying and your supply chain department. And then your customer service and experience department. And finally, your sales and marketing department to give the overall experience to your customer because the customer will interact with three people in your department, your staff and indirectly with your suppliers. And, and your customer will inter interact with your community. So that's why in business, the, that you treat your suppliers and your staff extremely well. So they in turn jointly treat your customer well. And if you respect your community and especially your underprivileged community around you, you win the respect of the customer to recognize that you are not all in for this profit, for cold profit, but you are a social entrepreneur and you're mindful of your environment and your community. And business is about two things, relationship and respect. And if you can win the respect of your customer, and you build a relationship with your staff members and your suppliers and your community, you are guaranteed to make a profit. Very interesting. Hmm. So I see social, uh, social upliftment and, uh, uh, is very important. Uh, we've seen on social media, you host an annual event at the ICC. Uh, tell us more about this and then we want to go on to the inter IBV sports cars, which we heard about. So in terms of our, our IBV humanity division and our CSI projects, one of our projects is um, uh, happened about this event happened about 11, 12 years ago, where my daughter was helping out in a, in a home, in an in a orphanage home. And she came across a young, young boy, uh, maybe six years old, who came to her and said, it's my birthday. And she then patted him and told him, okay, it's your birthday. What would you like for your birthday? And one would expect, you know, uh, for the young boy, uh, excited that it's his birthday. And she, and she offered to tell me, to ask him, what would he like for his birthday? The young man would have probably said something very expensive that he would like as a gift. And all he replied was he would love a hot dog. So, you know, when you realize that life is based on people's 
dreams and needs. And here's a young orphan, orphan boy who wants a hot dog or a slice of pizza as a birthday gift, makes you wonder and think what life is all about. In this regard, we decided to have a hot dog party and uh, invite a few orphan children. And then we are, we are always taught and trained to think big. We said, let's get an entire home and have a hot dog party. But uh, we said, let's get a few more homes. And it, it, our first event worked out to about 10 or 12 homes. And we had at least a thousand children. And we had a Disney World party with every type of food and uh, gifts and entertainment and, and goodie bag for the kids. And it was a very special day in their life. And we grew that every year to just before the, the COVID, uh, we had our 10th, an 10th anniversary. We have had at least 3,000 orphan children from 42 homes. And we've had uh, a really world-class um, event for them, the IBV Children's VIP Day. And this, this, uh, this, was, this is one of our special CSI projects. And we worked very closely with some 35 to 40 homes in the area in terms of giving them some support of what their needs are throughout the year. And that's where we enjoy interacting with the orphan children. Tell, tell us more about uh, the international, um, the sports car division. I think you have a sports car run. And how does that join in with the vault business? Is it more um, from the marketing point of view or customer service uh, add-on? I was fortunate in that I, I own a Ferrari and now I, I belong to the Ferrari Sports Club. And uh, that was many, many years ago. And um, the club wasn't doing too much for the members. And uh, my son and I joked about forming our own supercar club because in front of the vault, there were some very nice supercar clients coming and parking their cars. And, and we decided to launch IBB Supercar Club. And we opened it to members who own supercars. And, and we have some fun runs and in some events. And it went well. And it's still going strong and very well. Um, and then in, 20, and in 2014... We had this idea to do something big and crazy with Supercar Club. And we linked it to charity and we contacted Guinness World Record. And we, we, we wrote to them and said, we want to have a Supercar Charity Parade with 100 orphan children, raise some money and create a Guinness World Record. And then let other Supercar Clubs throughout the world catch on to that and, and help the help the less privileged. So it's connecting the super rich with the, with the orphan children. So when we wrote to Guinness World Record, uh, Guinness World Record replied to us and said, sorry, we are unable to assist you. We cannot have this event and you, as there is no category. So I called them and I asked them, what do you mean you have no, no category? They said there is no supercar charity parade and uh, there's no category and they're not in the they're not in the habit of forming new categories because they get so many requests for new categories all the time that they as Guinness World Record are not, not prepared to create a new category for IBD and that should close the story there. 
So we wrote back to them and told them that you must consider us because we need a category and we need to do the supercar charity parade. One, it will create an impact for the children and it is, a, it is for a good cause, please assist us. They wrote back again and said, not possible, we cannot help you. We called them again and they came back and said, not possible, we cannot help you. <laughs> and this is a lessons learned in business that you, you never take no for an answer. So we phoned them and we asked them, we want to have a meeting. They said, it's going to be a futile meeting. I said, I'll pay for the meeting. I want to have a meeting with the chief. So they gave me an appointment to, to meet with the CEO in London. So I went to London, met with the CEO and the team and explained our business model, our supercar club and the reasons why we want to have this charity run. The CEO and the team came back and said, okay, we'll give you in seven or eight days, we'll give you something to consider and that's the best we can do. They came back and said, We've, we went through our records. There is the most money raised in a car parade. You could use that and you could label it as supercar charity parade. So we got what we want. We called in, call in Guinness World Records. We called in EY auditors and we had a target to have... Uh, a charity parade with 100 cars. On that day, we had 212 supercars. We had 212 orphan children do a, uh, do a supercar run from the Pavilion Hotel in Durban to Balito and back to Gateway. We raised a million rand in a, in a, in a, in a few minutes. And we won the Guinness World Record, validated by Guinness World Record and by Ernest and Young. And um, we gave the charity, we gave the funds to to the local charities and 50% of it to to the UNICEF. So we still hold the record. Nobody has beaten us to that record. We had planned to to continue uh, the record in London, uh, the supercar charity parade in London. Unfortunately, due to COVID, we had to put that on hold. But there is a possibility we'll probably have this in June next year in the summer in London uh, to continue with our supercar charity parade. And thereafter, once we make success in London, we can then snowball it to Dubai and to other countries of the world. Interesting. I imagine among your customers, both on the, on the car club and on IBV, you have contacts with a relevant proportion of the affluent families uh, in South Africa. What's the current mindset of that segment of the population? That mindset is about aspirational, the aspirational rich. They, are, they like the finer things in life. They want, to, they want to save their wealth. They want to grow their wealth. They're mindful about wealth management. Uh, they, they, they're high achievers and they want to be rewarded for their working of working hard and achieving, achieving their dreams. And it is, it is the market, it is the, it is the market for high network individuals to, to associate and grow together in terms of either IBV supercar club or the vault, the vault business. And with regards to the vault business, everything in business has to have a purpose and a, a purpose and a drive. So when we have the vault business, we realized through our market research that people weren't investing in precious metals. So we, had, we got the license about 10 years ago 
and we we started selling precious metals gold coins and gold bars silver coins and silver bars to our clients at cost to mm-hmm. encourage them to buy this and put it in the safe deposit box so our loyalty program and retention plan for our customers who rent safe deposit vaults from us in durban johannesburg london switzerland and soon in dubai is to is to sell them gold bullion coins and bars silver coins and bars platinum coins at cost so that it gives them the purpose to buy this and save it for their future generations for their children for their grandchildren in a private safe deposit vault so we give purpose and meaning and peace of mind to our business functionality you also buy back those coins if the customer wants to sell yes we provide that service of buyback in terms of market pricing so whatever the market price dictates we are happy to buy it back as we know what we are selling to our customers and we are more than happy to buy it back from our customers so it's very liquid anyone that has a gold bar can sell it back whenever he wants yes we we offer that buyback service providing we test the the, the metal once we've tested the metal and the price is relative to the price related you know the price changes twice a day but mm-hmm. if it's according to the spot price and the market we will pay back according to the market price of that day mm-hmm. um i'd like to do ask you your opinion on uh, other international cities do you see yourself expanding ibv to other places like hong kong or new york uh, the americas or the far east yes because i think because we've got very good brand coverage globally for our world class vault in england in london and it's been recognized as truly a state of the art vault we've had invitation from other prestigious vaults in in LA in Hong Kong and many other parts of the world to partner with them so we have that opportunity obviously things have been slowing down for the past year and a half due to covid mm-hmm. but our grand plan is to is to make sure that we are fully fully um, established in london dubai switzerland uh before we expand any further so we believe if we make success especially in london and dubai then we have a good global reach to the to the global markets so now that we've established in london switzerland and dubai now we are on a development mode for the probably for the next 24 months before we consider any other new acquisition in any other new any other city or state or country in london and switzerland you have partners or you own 100% no uh, we are fortunate that uh, it's a family trust and i was i am i'm deep deep grateful to the to the good lord that we don't have shareholders or partners or equity partners mm-hmm. it's purely uh, our our family me and my wife and my two children and their spouses and that we are we are moving in a slow but steady path in terms mm-hmm. of our our growth in IBV group mm-hmm. was it easy to recruit good people in 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 Switzerland or, or London oh uh, you know uh, 
recruiting people is a, is 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 no perfect formula or science, and it's it's mm-hmm. a constant challenge. And I think it's not about recruiting people; it is about developing people. I don't think there's a perfect fit in recruiting the right person. If you want to recruit the right person, you need to have lots of spare dollars to recruit that person because a person knows he's right. Otherwise, he wouldn't know. The, you know, a, a right person will not know he's wrong. A lot of wrong people know that they are right, but a right person mm-hmm. knows he's right. And if a right yes. person knows he's right, he wants a lot of top dollars to work for you. So that is a challenge. So the challenge and the, the challenge is to find young, energetic. Hardworking uh, graduates or non-graduates, but just attitude, exactly what we do. personality is it, right. It's exactly what we do in our company. Uh, yeah, and then grow them, grow them to 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 enjoy what they're doing in the in the world of business, and and have fun in the in the in the world that we deal with, so that there's no stress, but more being creative and have a creative and a fun energy with the business that we have. Mm-hmm. I find that's very similar to uh, the concept that Pedro has formulated for 5,000 Miles, where we employ very young people in international markets. Our team in Nigeria, our team in Sao Paulo is very young. Uh, and Pedro can just share some of that and see how. Yeah, you know, easy. I, I would make yours my own words. Yeah, I always think that the best way to build something is to give opportunity for others to build with us and to grow with us. So we try to hire young, talented, high energy, high ambition people that while succeeding, we succeed together because they will grow and we grow. And this has been, I would say, uh, for the any success that, you, that we may have, that is the reason. It's the, the quality of the persons that we've got and that are young enough and still with looking forward to grow. And uh, as that, they push us forward, let's say. Yes, you you know, all the elements can be perfect, but dealing with the, the human resource department and dealing with people, um, that's the only department that sits both sides of the balance sheet, the asset side and the liabilities. Yes. Everything else you can know clearly whether it's sitting on the asset side or liability side. But when you're dealing with people, uh, some, are, some are sitting on the asset side and some are sitting on the liability side. And that's the challenge. That's, that a, very interesting, that's a very interesting statement. <laughs> <laughs> I think our listeners should make notes of that. Yeah, yeah. It's very important. Yeah. Mr. Ashok, tell me, for mo- most of our listeners being based in South Africa, what uh, words of encouragement can you give the South Africans uh, about business opportunity and thinking about international markets and scaling and, and having a, out, uh, a more international outlook of their thinking when it comes to business, not just thinking based on a certain location like Durban or South Africa. You know, I, I've been telling my kids that and my friends and, and, and my staff that as a young person, you generally want to take on the world and you want to start business and you want to grow your business and you have big dreams and big visions. That is so important to dream big and then to double your dreams. Uh, what is critical is your mindset. 
And I must, I must say that I've had all these elements of a good mindset, but I, I had forgotten or missed out on something. And only towards the latter part of your business life, you realize that you're on the wrong trajectory. And um, what you got to understand is this, that in South Africa, everybody wants to become rich and that is a very good positive energy. But their dreaming is wrong. They dream that, you know, I want to start my business and make a million rand. And they dream about that when I get a million rand, I'll probably grow that to two million and then to 10 million rand. And I'm saying that dream is wrong. That dream is so wrong that you start your business and you make a million rand. Because in South Africa, we are disadvantaged to that fact. Because in, in, the, in the entrepreneur in Africa, and every other entrepreneur in the world, including Africa, they dream of making a million dollars. Mm. So your mindset has to be right. When right. you dream about and you put it out in the universe, you want to make a million rand, God will give you a million rand. Mm -hmm. God is not going to give you a million dollars. But if yes. your mindset is changing and you put, say, I'm going to work my business because the international currency is the US dollar, that today, no matter where you are in the world, you've got to measure things by the leading currency and not by your local currency. Yes. So a lot of people who are disadvantaging themselves when they start business and start planning to earn and save a million rats, you need to save a million dollars. And your first target should be $100,000. Mm -hmm. So your mindset, you should think in dollars and plan and structure your whole budget in US dollars. That is now thinking big and bold. And it's free. It's, there's no charge for thinking big and bold. And you structure well said. it. Well said. You structure it. So that you, you have, a, you're saying that I want to earn today, not one rand, but I, want to, I don't want to earn 10 rand today. I want to earn $1. And today's rate, I think, for a dollar is about 14 rand to the dollar. So you're talking about earning 14 rand. But your, your trajectory, your mindset, your, your attitude is, I want to earn a dollar today, not one rand today or 10 rand today. I want to earn $100,000 a month, not 100,000 rands a month or in any other currency. So that I would tell the young entrepreneurs, change your mindset Persevere, be brave. Brave is, courage is the most important thing. In business, you need 10% capital, 90% guts. You need to take a chance. You need to embrace failure. If you fail, you must not worry. That is part of your training, learning, and experience. Mm. And the more training and the more learning and the more experience you, you have, the better you become. So what am I saying? The more failures you have, then you become successful. So you've got to embrace failure. You've got to be brave. You've got to be bold. You've got to be courageous. But at the same time, they say, in our, in our group, we say, fear no one, be bold, but respect everyone. Mm -hmm. And respect everyone means fear no one, respect everyone means there's a big difference to being, and say, we say humbleness takes you everywhere. Arrogance takes you nowhere. So if you know the difference between being humble 
and being arrogant. The difference between being courageous and brave and being and being afraid and, and, and that those are the differences you need to understand to be successful. The, the ability to persevere, the ability to take no for an answer and pursue your dreams and goals regardless that you are on a mission and you are on a trajectory. But at the same time, you respect everybody. At the same time, you have the ethics of being credible, that you are honest, you are sincere. So these principles in life, these fundamentals will take you everywhere in the world. Do you believe that uh, what we, we attract what we deeply believe in? Yes, people like to spin with winners. If you, are, if you show that you are neat, you are successful, and successful is, is, is not about getting a million dollars in your bank account. Successful is about your own personality, your own... I think everybody in their own right, personal right, is successful. Mm -hmm. and, that, and that if you have a cleaner who cleans the streets, there is that neat cleaner, and if he does his job well, is a successful person. Please yes. understand the difference between when we talk about the definition of successful. No matter, you could be in any class or form in any field of work, but if you are neat, you're organized, you're efficient, and you're tidy, neat and tidy, people want to recognize you as being successful. Mm -hmm. And if you are successful, you attract people to be around you. Mm, interesting. You don't have to drive a sports car and have all the, all the designer brands on you to screen that you're successful. Right? There's, an attitude, at the end, yeah, there's an attitude. At the same time, you're rude, arrogant, and, 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 and nasty. That is not success. Very interesting. This is very, very interesting. This original perspective and deep. Yeah. Mr. Shok, uh, he has volumes of wisdom. <laughs> no, it's very Sh sharing volumes with us. Mr. Mm -hmm. Shok. Uh, thank you so so far for all the gems. I have another question for you. How important is capital to someone's dreams and ambition in building a business? A lot of youth have aspirations and dreams uh, and, and dream of building big businesses, but are limited by capital. See, in your <laughs> life, money must not drive you. You must drive money. Which means then, don't ever say, oh, I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that and I couldn't try this business and I couldn't try that because I'm short of capital. Let me tell you something. That capital is sitting in the banks waiting for good opportunities. Okay. People have money to, to, to support good, good business opportunities. And how do you know that? Look at all the scam artists who takes millions of people and run away, which shows you there's a lot of money lying around. Mm. The question is, is, if you got a genuine plan and a good business and you persevere and you know what you're doing and you're honest and your integrity is right and you go out there and you use the fundamentals of a, of, of, of a product that can solve people's problems that can 
help people to make their life easy. And if you have that type of products and that business attitude to help to solve people's problems, to help to make people's time quicker in whatever they do, people will throw money at you like you cannot believe to buy shares in your company because you are on a right you're on a right ticket you're on a right wicket mm -hmm. so capital should never be a stumbling block capital should be the last thing you should worry about the most important is the business plan the testing of the plan the fundamentals of the plan the right infrastructure and the courage to go out there and make it happen Pedro, what other questions can you do you have for well, us? I, uh, I think it's interesting. Just to, I would like to, as we finish, to, to, to have a perspective on the future of South Africa. Is it bright? Is it concerning? How do you see this country developing? Pedro, I've had the fortunate, good fortune of traveling to many countries. Let me, let me share a secret with you. Every country has the good, bad, and ugly in each country. Every country has racism. Every country has a nice area, a safe area, a bad area, and a dangerous area. Every country has all types of weather. Every country has different political leaders. And most countries, 50% of the people in each country are either against the government or for the government. Yes. So... So whichever country we live in, it's the best country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It is not what the country can make you. It's how you make your life and how you make your own country and your own environment. Hmm. Very interesting. It's the attitude we have towards our day-to-day. -to -day. Because we can complain. We, it's, it's, it's fashionable to complain. It's fashionable Correct. to... Correct. It's fashionable to criticize. It's fashionable to do those things. What it is, it is what is real is get up in the morning and chase your dream and and see this everything as a small challenge and move move ahead and make success. And where the country is bad, and if you say the country is bad, that means there's more opportunity than less opportunity. A good country has got no opportunity. Yes, this is true. Yeah. There's no business opportunity. There's no much big business opportunity in Switzerland. So let me tell you that. Yes. Go to go to go to the nice the the the, the best country, the best country. There's no business opportunity. Yeah. Now in South Africa and Africa, there are the, the there's there's pouring of pouring of good business opportunity. But we've got to be hard working. We, know, we, don't, we must not be lazy and we must not be critical of, of and blaming everything around us. Stop complaining. Get on with the job. And then your country, or wherever you sure. are, and whichever, whichever city you are, whichever town you are, you will find that you are the king of that zone. Are you involved in politics in any way? You know, I have, um, I have a passion for business, right? And, 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 and travel and my family. 
some people have a passion in politics, some people have a passion for religion, some for sport, academia, science. These are different worlds. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, those are not my world. My world is the creativity to on business, entrepreneur, to, to how to push sales up, how to push expenses down, make a profit, take that profit, enjoy it with my family, and to travel the world and to, uh, to explore and to understand uh, the world we live in. Mm -hmm. Interesting. How, how important is travel to your development as a person, as a business person? Uh, do you feel travel adds a lot of value to your uh, personality and to your visions? Travel is one word, is education. I agree. I agree. Travel is education. Travel is research. Tra travel is leisure. is ringing. <laughs> I think this is my, my computer honor. Travel is leisure. Travel is education. Travel is research. Travel hmm. is... I don't know which computer is ringing. Is it mine? No, it's, this yours. Is not my it's yours, Pedro. I don't know. It's, not, it's Sergio's computer. I'm not sure okay. what's going on here. So I enjoy traveling. I enjoy, I enjoy the, the understanding global markets. Uh, the world is very small. We understand global market. We understand global innovation. Hmm. We understand uh, how how the same business is done differently in other parts of the world. It's just take a take a take a simple thing like a bun and a burger patty and some lettuce and a tomato. How you put it together? How you package it? And how you sell it? One company closes down and one company makes a billion dollars. So, you know, how does McDonald's makes a billion dollars and every other burger shop or most other burger shops after a while close down? You know, mm. this, is the, this is the opportunity of learning about quality, service, value. What are the elements of these things? And you can only compare this if you travel. Yes, yes. I was noticing here in Santa, because I'm currently in Santa, in the shopping center, there is many luxury brands, uh, shops. And I noticed that only one of them at a huge queue outside almost every day is Gucci, has a one hour waiting line outside and people booking appointments to go in. All others have either a mini queue or nothing. And they are door to door. They are, they are side by side. Is it? It's the powerful brands that is pulling the customer somehow. These brands create uniqueness. Fundamental of uniqueness is your quality, is your design, is your pricing. And it is a science that would create where customers have to stand out to enter your store because it's a world-class experience with a world-class product. That is a constant science of developing that uniqueness. That is the, so in focusing in business, you could create a uniqueness on your product, or you could create a uniqueness on your pricing, or you could create a uniqueness on your speed and your convenience. So the biggest restaurant oper operators now is a company called Uber Eats. 
and all they do is pick up the food from the from the restaurant and deliver it to the customer and they are charging the restaurant company 30%. So if you look at pricing and, and margins, Convenience. So if you have a food item at 100 rands, you are prepared to lose 30 rand because somebody is there to come and pick up your stuff and give it, deliver it. So your uniqueness, your uniqueness has to be either on customer convenience, customer speed, customer service, customer product. These are the signs as to what, what the special uniqueness you would have in terms of brand appeal. And that should then link to a, a profitability if you manage your income and your expenditure. Right? So then- we, we have an interesting case just to comment about pricing in Portugal. It is a very successful businessman that he, in the 70s, he bought an estate that today is the, the most prestigious, most expensive, most luxurious estate in Portugal. And he bought it after the revolution and he tried to market it in the international markets. He was not succeeding. And so he explains that one day he arrived in the office and say, okay, double the prices of everything. And they doubled the prices and immediately became an international success, selling to Formula One pilots, the exact same product, the exact same product, double the prices, start moving. It's interesting. So, so in terms of pricing, pricing, location, quality of the product. And there's another thing, especially when it comes to property, is the timing. So what you're telling me was not double the price. It was this timing was right. Mm -hmm. And that's why it could be triple the price you would have got it. In fact, you went low. <laughs> so the elements of timing, location, quality, and pricing, mm. right, is very, very important. Mm. I, I want to share something with you on our business model. And uh, basically, our business model pre-COVID was where international companies would sign up with us, example, a company in Portugal, and we would uh, then fly them over to Johannesburg, pick them up at the airport, uh, have two bottles still water in a C-class Merc ready for them. We'd check them into a five-star hotel. We'd have meetings lined up on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for them, take them to Cape Town, take them to Durban. And basically, uh, someone would have a whole week of back-to-back -back meetings, but being put up at five-star hotels and eating at five-star restaurants and have this uh, business slash leisure experience in South Africa and someone who's never been to South Africa before. COVID hit and uh, we found our whole business model came to a standstill because we were basically, I would say, uh, you know, traveling business uh, leisure. Uh, we pivoted our model using Zoom and we were still very successful by example, taking a Brazilian sportswear company and doing a transaction with Mr. Price and selling uh, sports clothes to Mr. Price all through just Zoom. Okay. Uh, obviously, we hope COVID will settle down. You know, we're going through our third wave, but uh, out there, people are willing to spend money to grow their businesses and for a service. Uh, what, what advice and opinions could you give us on our models at the moment? 
Due to COVID, people have learned two things, is adaptation and agility. Adaptation and agility is to read the markets and to be brave enough to change whatever you're doing to reach the marketplace in a different form or field. So mm-hmm. adaptation and agility has to be, you have to be very nimble. You have to be very much creative and you've got to make some very hard decisions and do not be scared to try things and be creative right. and innovate. And nothing is perfect and nothing will be perfect, mm-hmm. but you've got to go out there and try it and read the market. And if you need, so that, you know, because of the circumstances of COVID, a lot of, a lot of people have crashed in business and it is sad. But in another way, it is also taught us about nature. It is taught us about the importance of our, our, our infrastructure and our IT systems. And people were not active in Zoom and not active on online and suddenly it's a new world order. It's an acceleration of the global world order. It's an acceleration of the mm. global world. These are times of challenges and times of challenges presents new opportunities. Are you, are you going to think differently? You're going to think out of the box. Are you going to drive new changes? Are you going to be creative? Are you going to try things? Are you going to move fast enough to understand market needs, people's needs and read it in a different way? So this is, where, this is where the online world, the social media world has accelerated. Yes. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it, is, it is everything is now going, everything is going to be social media. It's going to be the tech, the tech world. It's going to the market dynamics on our virus, the market dynamic on our sovereign currencies and fiat currencies. I'm in the business of currencies because I sell gold. Gold is a currency. And then you have your countries which have fiat currencies, but the advent of cryptocurrencies, you can't shy away from it. You can't believe it's going to disappear one day. Then you are thinking, your thinking is wrong. Mm. Cryptocurrencies are going to be, yeah, whether you like it or not, whatever your view is, it cryptocurrencies. So your children should be buying some cryptocurrencies so that they not only lose money, but understand the process of how cryptocurrencies work. So that is how you teach, is by you learn and you make mistakes and you become better knowledgeable about it. So the new world order about virus management, respecting the nature that we live in, the world we live in, the technology world, the currency world, the cryptocurrency world, this is all the new world order because people are talking about post-COVID. They are going to be the new billionaires post-COVID. And the old billionaires are going to be stuck in a different place. And there's going to be new entrepreneurs and new, new, new way of doing business. I mean, the whole world of the whole world is changing, whether it's your universities. There's, I don't think in, in the future years, there's a thing we're going to be called universities or colleges. It's all going to be doing studying online. And then you won't be getting soon. You don't need to have a driver's license because there's no drivers for cars. Now, do you see that in the future? Do you see that? Do you see the world changing? Or you believe the world is going to be in the same as your view 
from now till the time you die. Hmm. It is all about your perception of how you want to to change your life, and it's your own attitude. Don't blame anyone. Don't blame your parents. Don't blame your your elders, and don't blame your friends. Or uh, and don't come up with excuses. Do you think that uh, the emergency of cryptocurrencies uh, will reduce or decrease the need for vaults? Um, as much as you deal with the cloud, we deal with the stuff underground. So there is always a demand for gold. There's always a demand for silver and platinum and palladium, right? So we have linked that because we have now started our gold online business, and we are looking at uh, uh, at a digital coin to buy and sell gold. But we believe a traditional vault will always be there for physical asset, important documents, and even if you have cryptocurrencies, you need to keep your blockchain codes and your crypto codes in a very safe place. Yes. So these are the opportunities that present itself and how do we then embrace it is the, the question. And what is your personality? What is your attitude? What is your mindset that can take you from A to B? You know, it reminds me It reminds me of uh, a young boy who met a priest and the priest said, my, my son, if you pray diligently every day and you will get whatever you want. So this young boy got up every morning and he prayed to win the lotto, the Powerball lotto. And he prayed right till his dying old age of 80 and he died and he went to God and he said to God, you know, I'm disappointed. I prayed all my life. The priest told me to pray. And you ask for anything from God, God will give it to you. And then God asked him, what did you pray for? And he said, you know, I prayed to win the lotto, but you never answered my prayers. And God said, but you did not buy the lotto ticket. <laughs> so in life, it's not only about dreaming and praying, but it's also getting up and making that effort. Effort equals effort equals results. No effort, no results. True, true. Uh, one more point I want to bring up is that with the advent of COVID, the world seems to have accelerated uh, problems even by 10. So what's your opinion on the amount of dollars that have been printed in the last year by the feds in America, uh, you know, some 20 to 25 to 30% of US dollars have been printed. Uh, there's talk of huge inflation ripple effects. It's a, it's a natural progression that if you've got a printing machine and you print as much paper money as you want, you're going to then going to go into inflation or hyperinflation. But those words of inflation and hyperinflation mean simply that if you buy a can of Coke for one rand today or one dollar today, that in five years time, it could be five rand or five dollars. So that the cost of everything you pay for is then going up double or quadruple. And that's called inflation because there's more money. And if there's more money, there's more, more money to buy stuff. And if there's more demand for the stuff that you want to buy, then that price must go up 
and that price causes the thing called inflation. So if you print more money, you're going to have more money in circulation. And if there's more money in circulation, then items you want to pay for, there will be a higher demand to pay for that. So if you are wanting to buy a car for $5,000 and there's five people wanting to buy that same car, then that means the seller will say, I want seven or $8,000. And that is causing inflation. Why are you, how are you causing that inflation? Because those five people have more cash than they can, they can, they can afford. And this is why you say you, do, you, don't, you don't print money recklessly because you will cause inflation or hyperinflation. Now, prior to, prior to the countries linking their asset or their currency to, a, to, a, to the gold standard, then they had, the, the, each country had to have the equal amount of gold to create the currency of their need. And that was then changed when the US government said, we will de-link from the gold standard, but, but we will price gold in only one currency in the world, in dollars. So that was, that is called financial engineering. You de-link the currency to all the world's currencies, but you price gold and gold is priced today based on the US dollar. So basically if you're buying gold, you're buying dollars. But if you buy dollars, you're actually not buying gold. So it's better to buy gold than dollars. Interesting, interesting. It's a good point. Yes, it's a good point. Pedro, do you have any more questions or could we conclude? I think it was a wonderful conversation, truly. It was one of the best uh, conversations I think we've had so far yes, on the podcast. Very, very insightful, very insightful and food for thought. Lots of and wisdom yeah. shared. Lots and yeah. lots of wisdom. It's great yes. talking to you guys, Mohamed and uh, Pedro. It's so nice to have a discussion. I don't no, even we... know what I was going to talk about, but it's interesting to share some ideas. They say that if I give you $1 and you give me $1, we still have a dollar each. But if I give you one idea and you give me one idea, we have two ideas each. <laughs> well said. Mr. Ashok, I thank you for sharing such lovely gems of wisdom. Uh, your, your wisdom is well received. Our listeners will, pro uh, will be very delighted with this podcast. And we hope to welcome you in future podcasts. And if ever you're in Portugal or uh, visiting one of the countries that have our office, let us know. We'll be more than welcome to host you there and come and visit okay. us in our head office in Portugal, in Lisbon, and wish you all the best on your future endeavors with your business. And um, Pedro, I'll let you wrap it up. Just to say that now you have a friend in Portugal. I'm currently in Santon, but I'll be back home very soon. So you have a friend in Portugal. Anything you need from Portugal, Spain, Brazil, or Nigeria, we are ready to help. Thank you so much. And it's been great speaking to you, Pedro, and to Mama. Thank you. And I wish all your listeners the best, best in their business endeavors. And we look forward to engaging and sharing more ideas with all your listeners. And God be with all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you.